The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Thank you, Ethan. Appreciate that number. Just a couple of quick announcements. Uh, The men's Bible study is canceled tonight. Our fearless leader is under the weather. So pray for Joe. They're feeling better. There's so much going around and a lot of families... With this crazy weather, somebody told me we had all four seasons last week, and that's, that's, I think that's pretty accurate. So let's pray for Joe and a lot of the others that are under the weather. <clears throat> also, uh, Marilyn's already mentioned it, but this is the last day to sign up for the, the marriage encounter that we're having, having. and a uh, short clip here, just a final push for, for this. When I look at Cindy, and we have 30 years of marriage now, I often tell people the love with which I married Cindy is not the love with which our marriage has grown. Uh, When we were uh, dating and in lust and in passion and wanting to get married for all sorts of reasons, some right hopefully, but a lot wrong, that that love cannot sustain a marriage. It cannot. But when I look back over 30 years and I look at what Cindy does for me emotionally, uh, mentally, spiritually, physically, after two back surgeries to see a woman who will, you know, you can't pick that up, let me get that for you. And I look at what I do for her from a spiritual, emotional support. Uh, she's not just my wife, she's my closest friend. And, and that is a work of God because marriages fail all the time. I encourage you to sign up, and as I said before, it's not just for crisis, it's for just getting better, and uh, I'm sure we could all benefit from it. Well, we're continuing our, our study in Joseph, Joseph, a man for all generations, and this morning we're looking at resisting temptation. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to bless our time. Father, as we come before you now, we're, we're so thankful for the examples you have given us throughout Scripture. Examples of solid men and women who live for you, and also some who didn't, but yet all of your word, all of the counsel of God has been designed to train us to be the kind of people you want us to be. So I pray this morning that you would give a special blessing to us and allow us to see deeply into a man who is tempted in a very difficult way yet radiated the love of God in his life. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 39, and let's begin by looking at verses 6 through 12. It says, So he, Potiphar, left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was a handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused, and he said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. He has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything for me 
except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men were in the house, was there in the house. She caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Charles Durham, a pastor in the Midwest, has written a book called Temptation, Help for Struggling Christians. And he shares a very interesting illustration. A couple hundred years ago, on the island of Cape Hatteras, off the shore of North Carolina, there were men whose business it was to get ships to run aground and then take all their cargo. These men were known as wreckers who made their living gathering up parts of old ships, using the lumber to build homes, and taking their cargo cargo to sell and to enrich themselves. And what they would do is they would take lanterns and they would put them on the heads of old nags, old horses, hence nags head, if you're familiar with that area. And what they would do is they would walk these horses up and down the beach. And in the dark Atlantic nights, when ships were trying to navigate around the island, They would see these bobbing lights and assume they were on the transom of ships. And so they would steer towards the light, figuring they had a way to go, and they would run aground. In the morning, the wreckers would come out, gather up everything, steal what they could, and then break up the boat and use the lumber. In fact, it became such a thriving business that even today, if you go there on a tour, they'll show you homes that were built from some 2,300 ships that ran aground off the coast, either by accident or treachery. Now, when people first hear about the Nags Head wreckers, they're shocked at the coldness of the heart and how indifferent they could be to the safety of, of other sailors. But they would be far more shocked if they would realize that there are con- constant forces that are more malicious and the spiritual wreckers. Traditionally, the church has spoken of three types of wreckers. The first is the world, which means the world system, including morality and values. And it's these type of wreckers that Paul spoke about in Romans 12 too, when he said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that, you may, may, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The second type of wrecker is the flesh. And this attempts to wrongly indulge in otherwise right and normal appetites, but to indulge in them outside of God's prescribed plan. And then the last, of course, is one that uses the first two, and he's the devil, the great enemy of souls. The Apostle Peter describes him as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour in 1 Peter 5.8. And then Peter continues in verse 9, Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. You see, there is a specific plan 
to get God's people to run aground. There is a concerted, focused plan to get God's people to run aground. Now, you'll notice what Peter says here. He says that temptation is common. It's common. One of the devil's techniques is to convince you that what you're going through, no one else has ever been quite where you are. In fact, he says, no one has ever been tempted like you're tempted. If they were, they would have given in long ago. If they knew what you were going through, they would understand. No one will blame you for doing what you obviously have to do. And of course, this is the devil speaking, not God. The word of God brands such counsel as lies and the one who speaks them as the great liar in 1 John 2.22. Wherever temptation you are facing, it is being faced by our brothers and sisters throughout the world. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear up under it. The key is to accept the escape. And this is where we get in trouble, isn't it? And what I want you to see this morning is that Joseph details for us a very clear plan of escape. And exactly here is where temptation of Joseph by Potiphar's wife speaks so powerfully to you and I. For whatever the encounter recorded in just six verses in this story, it certainly teaches us that temptation is common to all men. Joseph experienced what so many people experience today. Moreover, you, we face nothing, nothing that hasn't already been Uh, felt by others. And moreover, we are also facing what others have also come to have victory over. Thousands, perhaps millions of God's people. Our calling is not to excuse the disobedience or failure. It is to conquer temptation as Joseph did. This incident in Joseph's life is a common occurrence. It's played out in all forms of life. And probably you know people who have been tempted in this way, if not yourself. Joseph had come to a position of prominence in Potiphar's house, and his wife took notice. She was covetous. Verse 7 says, And after time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. She wanted what she wanted. She was also shameless. She went straight after him in her own home with servants and everyone around. And she was also very persistent because verse 10 says, and as she spoke to Joseph day after day. I mean, this wasn't a one-time occurrence. And you get the understanding from Scripture that every time Joseph went into the house to do his work, day after day after day, she tempted him. She even arranged to have the house empty. Verse 11 says, But one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were there in the house. You see, remove any excuse. That's what temptation does. 
And I'm sure Potiphar's wife thought, well, with all these men here, I mean, he's probably embarrassed. He'll never do anything. So I'll arrange to have nobody there. No more excuses. Nothing to be embarrassed about. It's just me and him. But Joseph did not succumb to the temptation. He resisted her. First by words, and then afterwards by physical flight. In this... He followed the injunction that Paul would later write to the people of his time in 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to consider the secrets of Joseph's success, but notice that it starts right here with a success over temptation. Now, we need to be honest here. We need to be straight. It's very difficult. It's very, very difficult. Temptation is strong. It's very strong. Consider Adam and Eve who were in the garden. They were created without sin, and yet they succumbed to the temptation. You and I are born with a sin nature, so we're half beat when we come out of the womb. So we need extra help. We need the guidance of the word of God. Now, there are several factors that made this temptation particularly dangerous and made Joseph's victory all the more significant. <clears throat> Number one, it was a natural temptation. It was natural in the sense that it appealed to a right and normal appetite. It appeals to the normal desires of the human body created by God within boundaries. But the temptation is to move from outside of God's boundaries. But notice that as she asked him, day after day, you can see that the goal of temptation is to wear you down. She didn't have the house empty and grab after his coat the very first day. It was only after day, after day, after day, after day that she went to that extreme. And isn't that the way Satan works? A slow drip designed to eventually break us down. Number two, he was away from home. He was away from the influence of family and friends. Nobody would know. Kind of what happens in Egypt stays in Egypt, sort of thing. But this is how often students get in trouble when they go away to school. They have a kind of tribal view of God. They think of God as the God of their local, far away, but local families and local church. And if they've never established a deep relationship with God, they're open to the temptations of the world. Number three... It came <clears throat> from a very important woman. She was a godless woman, of course, and wicked, but she was a woman of prominence <clears throat> and able to make life miserable for Joseph. Joseph could not have failed to see that she would be as valuable an ally if accepted as she would be an enemy if he refused her. F.B. Meyer puts it like this, quote, it seemed essential to Joseph to stand well with his master's wife. To please her would secure his advancement. To cross her would make her his foe and ruin his hopes. 
How many would have reasoned that by yielding only a moment, they might win influence, which they could afterwards use for the very best results? This idea leads many to say when tempted to do wrong by master or mistress or foreman or chief, I didn't care for it or wish it. I yielded because my bread depended on it. I did not dare offend them. Meyer concludes, the only armor against temptation is faith that looks to the long future and believes that in the end, it will be found better to have done right and to have waited for vindication and the blessing of God. You see, to Joseph, his heart was wrapped up in God. God was at the center of his life. It's what made him the great worker he was because when he worked for Potiphar, he was working for God. You recognize that in the reality when he says, how can I sin against God? I mean, who's involved here? Potiphar, his wife, but yet he equates it with sinning against God. Everything that Joseph did was for the glory of God. His work, his ethics, his morality, and his resistance. And what helped Joseph to be strong was that he determined long ago to never bring shame to his God. And that's what governed him and got him through these situations. Number four, temptation followed an important promotion. You know, it was not while Joseph was working to please his master and moving up as he was promoted. It was afterward when he had now the ability to control the situation. Remember, everything was under his control. Everything. Potiphar simply walked away, leaving everything in Joseph's care. No one was looking over Joseph's shoulder. In essence, he was a slave, but he was the man. Everything funneled through him. Every decision, every order, everything was through Joseph. He could have said, you know, Joseph, you've arrived. You deserve the fruits of your labor. It's not going to hurt to have a little fun. Beware of temptation when you have arrived or achieved a place of prominence. David was in his 50s and had definitely arrived by unifying the kingdom and expanding its borders and bringing peace to the regions around. But it was only after that that he met Bathsheba. And when was our Lord tempted? It was immediately after he had received John's baptism and heard the voice from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love and whom I am well pleased. Matthew 3, 17. In fact, the devil even used that divine testimony against him. For he began by casting doubt upon the very words the Lord had just said to him. Matthew 4, 3. If you are the son of God... Tell these stones to become bread. So the temptation appealed to his authority. And the temptation appealed to David in his authority. And the temptation appealed to Joseph in his authority. Beware of temptation when you have achieved a victory. Beware when you have just led someone to the Lord. Or experienced a great spiritual blessing. It's often when we feel the strongest that we're the most vulnerable. Number five, 
the temptation came repeatedly. Wherever you have a weakness, you can be assured that that temptation will come over and over again. As Christians, we have the Holy Spirit to warn us about Satan's devices. And I'm sure that most of us know very clearly, without confusion, what sin is. The final factor that made this temptation strong for Joseph was that it seized the perfect opportunity. The text says that it came on a day when he was in the house performing his duties. It was only he and Mrs. Potiphar in the house. Look at verse 11 and 12. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and he fled and he got out of the house. You know, many fall because temptation comes when nobody's around and the circumstances are just right. No one will know. He could have reasoned, and I can finally get her off my back. No one, no one but the person you sinned with who may have a big mouth, and God who does, holds us blameless, doesn't hold us blameless for those who sin against him. Joseph did the only thing he could have done, and he ran. Now, let's be honest. There was no question in Joseph's mind, that it was sin. And there's no question in our mind when something is sin. Verse 9 says, He's not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Do you notice something very particular here? He equates sinning against his earthly master for sinning against his heavenly master. When we sin, we make the gospel of no effect. Joseph recognized the sin against his earthly master was a sin against God. Have you ever considered asking yourself that question when tempted? How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? When you consider the unfathomable love of a God who made a plan to rescue you and I out of the slave market of sin, who sent his son to endure brutal death and then raised him from the grave to eternally pay the price for your sin and mine. We will be with him forever. So how can we possibly sin against that kind of God who gave himself for us? You see, all sin is against God. It is a rebellious nature that seeks to be free from God. Well, what Christian, what Christian would want to be free from God, you ask? A sinning one. A sinning one. And this is why many refuse to grow in their relationship to the Lord. It always leads to some uh, con conclusion that what I don't know, I can't be held accountable for. 
God is everything and all sin is against him. Joseph knew that. There were no games without rules and God is the author of the rules. Joseph also knew that sin hurts others. It was part of his argument with Potiphar's wife. He said, look, he's not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything for me except you because you're his wife. So there's three key things to see here. First, he had arrived where he was because of Potiphar's trust. Therefore, he was compelled to honor that trust. Number two, Potiphar had not given his wife to Joseph, even though he had given him authority over everything else in the house. And then third, because of Potiphar's wife was under moral obligation to her husband, Joseph was therefore under moral obligation to refuse. So so here's the key. Joseph had purposed long ago in his heart to obey God, and he was ready when the temptation came. Now, he, he didn't sit there years ago and go, well, you know, some guy's wife ever throws herself at me, I'm going to say no. No, he didn't know. But he determined to obey God. And when we review the story and go back, when he had his dreams and God spoke to him, he knew God had a very specific plan for him. And he latched onto that plan and that governed his life through all the circumstances. It's what made him strong when his brothers rejected him. Think of the pain. It's what made him strong when he was sold into slavery. It was what made him an outstanding worker for God while serving an Egyptian master. And when the temptation came, it's what made him strong and gave him the heart to run and not fall into it. So when the temptation came, it was already settled in his heart. Joseph emptied himself of self and filled the void with God. And Joseph's ability to resist was God in him. Now, that's important for you and I to really grasp because we talk a lot about the leading of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, and yielding our lives to Him. Joseph gave his life to God. So when tempted, it was God living through him. You and I have the Holy Spirit. When we yield to God, the Spirit lives through us, giving us the strength in all areas. And so Joseph knew to sin with her was to sin against Potiphar, the man who trusted him. But ultimately, it is sin against God that destroys. David, after his sin with Bathsheba, cried out in Psalm 51.4, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against her husband. He sinned against his nation. But ultimately, he knew he sinned against a holy God. And I think what's missing today is a clear understanding of God in our lives. These great men understood that when they achieved, it was God doing it. And when they sinned, it was against God. We need a dose of holiness today. Today, we need to have a clear understanding of true holiness 
and who it is that is control of our lives and who it is we're accountable for. And that's why David cried out, against you, you only, have I sinned. Joseph knew this and therefore replied to his wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? How can I? How can I do it? Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you truly know Jesus Christ as your Savior? I mean, you're not in love with the idea. You like coming to church and it's fun to be a part of it. Does he really control your life? Is your life stable, confident, set in him, no matter what this life throws at you? I ask this because 1 John 1, verse 6 and 7 says, If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, Joseph had fellowship with Potiphar because he walked in the light and he refused to violate that friendship and dim the light. The light was so bright in Joseph and he refused to let it be dimmed. So let me leave, leave you with a practical discipline. Having settled these matters in his mind and his heart before the temptation came, Joseph did not hesitate to put them into practice. He was practical in three specific ways. First, he let his position be known. He was straight with her. Look, your husband's put me in charge of everything except you because you're his wife. Do you, do you understand, Mrs. Potiphar, who I am? I am in the charge of your husband and he trusts me. Do you understand that? So how can I sin against God? Secondly, he kept busy. <laughs> he was about his master's work. It says the temptation came day after day after day. And I think day after day, he walked in the house and just went past her and kept doing his work, doing the things his master had given him to do. And in keeping busy for his master, he ignored her. It's kind of like you and I keeping busy with our heavenly master and ignoring the temptation. And then third, when all else failed, he ran. He ran and left the consequences to God. Now, you may argue, yeah, and look where it got him. Prison. <laughs> if he'd just given in, he'd have been free from prison. Sure, and he'd have been free from his destiny to interpret dreams, which would have got him to Pharaoh to put him where he needed to be. What do we say about those who love God? All things work together for good, right? 
So yes, it got him in prison for the short term. But in the long term, royalty. Royalty. Have faith in God. And remember, he is in control. The amazing beauty and grace that you and I possess is not only love and mercy, but the very tools to spare us. He gave us the Spirit. He gave us the Word. Everyone in this room has the capacity to seek God's will, know His will, and live for Him. There's not one person in this room that can say, I don't know how to live for God. It's very clear. Even if you're a new Christian, you know the difference between right and wrong. What Joseph does is show us in a dynamic way how to resist one of the most difficult temptations we know. So remember this. Whatever discouragement we face or success we embrace, it is God who determines the outcome. Trust him first. Be prepared in advance. Know it's coming and be ready. And one day when you get to glory and meet Joseph, you'll high-five each other. Yeah, we were successful. God is everything to me. Is he everything to you? Is he and his holiness more important than our human desires? He must increase and we must decrease. Father, we thank you this morning for your amazing grace. And Lord, as we've looked at such a difficult, difficult topic, we know, Lord, that the capacity you have given each one of us is the ability to rise above anything, to rise above any test, any difficult situation, any temptation, to know that your word says very clearly that by your spirit and by your hand, you rescue us. You didn't just rescue us for eternity, you rescued us every day of our lives. And your word says very clearly that sin no longer has dominion over us, which means clearly through your spirit, we have the ability to walk away. Give us the strength, Lord, to obey you in all things, that you might get the glory, and that one day when we stand before you, we'll be able to hear, well done, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We praise you and thank you, Lord, in Christ's name.